how are you guys doing? You guys doing good? Doing good? Well, great to see you this morning at Journey Church. If this is your first time here, man, we're in the same boat together today. Uh, we are, as a family, we're signing up for all these things here that Journey Church has to offer. We're signing up for a small group. We're going to sign up for tech, test drive. I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to sign up for it anyways. Uh, starting point, night of worship coming up that you just saw a promo for. Is anybody else excited to move into this new building? Yeah, you know, there we go. There we go. What an exciting journey you've been a part of. You have had a fan of you guys living in Florida for five plus years. And what has been going on here? We have been admiring and, and just in awe of what has taken place because of your faithfulness to Journey Church International. So thank you for wrapping your arms around my family. And Christian is exactly right. We're not only homeless, we don't have our stuff here yet. It's on its road all the way up from uh, Florida. I, I don't mean homeless like we're living on the street homeless, um, but I mean we haven't signed our house yet. So we're really excited to be a part of this journey with you all today. I want to share with you in just a few moments some of the things that God has been teaching us in this, in this transition from Florida to Kansas City. But before I do, I want to just share some, uh, just some things, some background with uh, Pastor Christian and, and, and our relationship together with him and his wife and my wife. Um, it was Pastor Christian over a bowl of Rotel dip and, and chips where I was called to ministry. Um, we were at a fantasy football draft in 2003. It was at Pastor Christian's house. And as he dipped for a chip in the Rotel dip, and as I dipped for, dipped for a chip in the Rotel dip, he looked at me and he said, Brandon, have you ever considered um, le leading a children's athletic program at a church? Well, that's all it took. And just a few months later, I was on staff at a, at a church leading an athletic program. And then I quickly became a children's pastor, and, 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 and from there on, we moved to Florida. Uh, a few uh, months ago, about a year ago, Pastor Christian and my wife and I were sitting at a restaurant. Pastor Christian looked at me, and once again, food was involved, right? And he looked at me, and he said, Brandon, have you ever considered pastoring a church? And that's all it took. And now here we are today. And I don't know if you've ever prayed for something and then months or maybe years later, you step into it and it's a reality. This is a very surreal moment for me. And so I just want to thank you for opening your arms and inviting me to be a part of this. And not only church, but it's a movement of what has taken place here in Lee Summit and the Kansas City area. So I thank Christian on behalf of my family for what he, is, he has done in my life. I will forever be grateful. So I want to share with you some things that God has been uh, uh, planting in my life for the past few months. And so I, I want to start with this statement. And, and if you miss everything, don't miss this statement. And the statement is this. It's this, that we are not called, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not called to lives uh, of, of contentment and comfort. We are called to lives of obedience. That is to say this, that we are not called to a life of comfort. We are called to a life of obedience. That God desires at some point in our life that we reach a place that we are willing to leave our comfort zones, step out in faith, and walk in obedience. Now, I know what you're thinking, because this flies in direct opposition to what culture would lead us to believe today. What does our post-Christian culture lead us to believe today? It would tell you this, you need to achieve great wealth. You need to achieve fame. You need to achieve influence. 
faith in a superior being? Well, that's not necessary. You've got to believe in yourself. Trust yourself. You need to take care of what is yours. You need to get all you can while you can and can all you get. And you've truly arrived in this life when all of the cares and the worries of this world have passed and you can coast into the twilight years. Friends, that's not what our relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. Our relationship with Jesus Christ comes with a lot of great guarantees. One of those is you become a child of God. You become heirs to his kingdom. You will be on the front row of seeing God do amazing things in your life and through your life. And I know this, that you will experience moments of great triumphs, but you will also experience moments of tremendous trials. You've been called to a purpose when you follow when you give your life to Jesus Christ. The disciples, better than anybody, learned this as they walked with and lived with Jesus for three years. And so today we're going to look at an amazing narrative that has spoken into my life more than any other passage of Scripture in the last three months of our transition here to KC. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. You can go ahead and uh, turn on your Bibles and find it there or open them up if you're old school like me. Find them. It's Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and thir- through 33. And in a moment, I'm going to read it to you, but I want to set it up. I want to give you some context. This story takes place in northern Galilee. I have a picture of, of the Sea of Galilee, and many of you have, have been there, and the Sea of Galilee is absolutely beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. We, were, we stayed on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and this is where this event took place that I'm about ready to to talk to you about. You see, in this story, just prior to this story, Jesus performed one of his greatest miracles. You've probably heard of it. It's the time where he fed 5,000 people. Some historians and some theologians would estimate that there were over 10,000 men, women, and children that were fed on that day. And how did he do it? He took a little boy sack lunch, right? He didn't have Chick-fil-A cater it in. He didn't have Jack Stack Barbecue show up with big old trays of barbecue. And by the way, that is one of the greatest things we're looking forward to moving back to KC, right? Is the barbecue. No, what did Jesus use? He used a little boy's sack lunch. He used five loaves of bread and two fish. He multiplied it, uh, separated everybody and fed them. And there was plenty left over. And so I want to tell you that because the the, the, the disciples and Jesus Christ were leaving a moment of a, of a great spiritual high. Look at what Jesus accomplished. And so Jesus then has some special instructions for his disciples. So, so let's go ahead and read it together. It's Matthew chapter 14, real quick, and let's, and let's read it together. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they they said, "It, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now this is an exciting story, but it's even more powerful when we take a look at this event in context with uh, the other passages of Scripture that share the same event. And I want you to pay close attention to the, the details in this, in this passage because God is going to teach us some very important spiritual truths that I believe that you can take hold of today as I have grasped them in my own life. The first one is this. The storms in life will still come even when you obey God's calling. Have you ever recognized that in your own life? The storms in life will still come even when you're obeying God's calling. You see, many individuals begin their relationship with Jesus Christ, thinking that all of life's problems will just suddenly disappear. Even more, perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for, for many years, and you've discovered that the storms have not, even, that have not stopped, but they've, they've all actually increased in your life. And, and you're wondering, God, I thought I was obeying you. God, God I, I thought I was following your calling in my life. Why are things so difficult? I want you to pay close attention to this detail found in verse 22. Do you remember in this passage who instructed the disciples to get into the boat? Who was it? Help me out now. It was Jesus. That's exactly right. It was Jesus. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. It was Jesus that sent the disciples across the sea that evening. You know, as I've read this over and over again, I often wonder, why did Jesus, the creator of the universe, not know what the weather forecast was for that evening, right? He, he was the one who created the weather. He was the one that designed the weather patterns. Why did he not see the weather forecast for that evening? And, and even more, why didn't Jesus get in the boat with him that evening? Jesus had made the trip across the Sea of Galilee on multiple occasions. Even one we read about just a few chapters earlier where Jesus was in the boat. The storms came. The the disciples freaked out. And Jesus stands up and he causes the storm to stop with his own voice. But on this trip, Jesus doesn't come. Why is that? Well, I believe he wants to take this as an opportunity to strengthen the faith of his disciples, to teach them an important truth. Do you believe that God tests our faith? Do you believe that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, just a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, here it is, various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God takes us through times of testing. Uh, There's a famous pastor out in California. You've perhaps heard of him. His name's Rick Warren. He pastors a big church called Saddleback. He wrote a little book called Purpose Driven Life. Perhaps you've read that. Uh, Wonderful pastor. He says that there are four specific times that our faith is tested. They're called faith tests. I want to share those with you because perhaps you can relate to them as I have related to them in my own life. The first one is the pressure test. 
the pressure test. The pressure test asks the question, how will you handle stress in your life? Will you depend on yourself or will you depend on God? That is a faith test, the pressure, the stresses in your life. And perhaps many of you are thinking right now, yeah, I'm under a lot of pressure right now. That's a faith test. The second one is the people test. The people test uh, answers the question, how will you handle disappointment in your life? Just by show of hands, has anybody ever been disappointed by someone in their life? Come on now. We all could raise our hand at that. We've all at some point been disappointed by someone. And some of you are thinking of that person right now. I know you are. That's a faith test. That's a, pre- that's, that's a test of our faith. How will you handle disappointment in your life? The third one is the persistence test. The persistence test answers the question, will I keep my commitments? You see, life's about making decisions. Life's about making commitments. And the problem today is that most people are half committed to two dozen different things instead of being totally committed to just one or two. This is the persistence test. It is a faith test. And then lastly is the priorities test, and it's probably the most important one. The priorities test asks the question, who will be first in your life? Not what will be first in your life, but who will be first in your life. You know, you can really see who is first in your life by answering these three questions. You can ask yourself, what do you think about the most? Where does your money go to first? And how do you spend your time? How you answer these questions helps you identify who is first in your life. So God will take us through times of testing, and I think that Jesus was taking his disciples through a faith test that evening. And they discovered that the storms in life will still come even when we obey God's calling. I think the second truth that we can learn from this passage today is this, is that Jesus is not absent during the storms of life. He's not absent. You know, there's so much detail that can be discovered when we combine all three gospel narratives of this passage into one. Mark's narrative says this in verse 46 of chapter 6. He says, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain. This is talking about Jesus now. He's already sent the disciples on in the boat. And when evening came, the boat was out on sea, and Jesus, or he, was all alone on the land. Now watch this, verse 48. Circle these next three words in your Bible or highlight them. And he saw. Who's he? It's Jesus. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. You see, friends, Jesus may not have been in the boat with the disciples that evening, but he wasn't too far away. You know, I took a picture unknowingly when I was in Israel just a few months ago of the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. I was on the northern side looking south, and on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, there's these beautiful hills. And you can see that picture there. This is, north, this is from the north side looking kind of south, southeast. And I could just picture in my mind as these disciples are rowing their way, probably right across that area, rowing their way across the sea, Jesus looking down upon them from the hills, seeing them and watching them the whole time. Friends, Jesus wasn't absent. He was watching them struggling their way across the sea. And John tells us in his narrative that they had rowed for nearly three or four miles, which would equate to at least three or four hours that evening. 
Can you imagine what kind of conversations would have taken place in the boat between the disciples? I mean, Peter, in the midst of that storm, was probably barking out orders, making everyone upset. He was probably stirring the pot. John was probably firing back at Peter. Peter or John was kind of a fiery disciple. He, he was probably yelling back at Peter, who made you the boss? And then there was Thomas. Thomas was probably telling all the other disciples, guys, I had my doubts about this the entire time. You know, see, Jesus is not absent during your storm. And I know it may feel like it at the time, but he's right there. He's right there and he's waiting for you to simply call out to him. You know, as a parent, um, our, our parenting is filled with moments of what I call letting go. We have to learn to let go of our children at various moments in their development, right? You remember letting go of your child, those of us of parents in here, letting go of your child as they begin to waddle across the living room. Do you remember that? You have to learn to, you have to, you have to let go of them so that they can learn to walk. One of my favorite moments of, of learning to let go as a parent is when I taught my daughter Demi how to ride her bike. Right? Anybody ever teach your child how to... Yeah, we, we love that moment. You remember how you did it? You would take your hand on, on their shoulder and, and your other hand on the back of their, their, their bike and you're, you're kind of cussing in the back of your head because your back hurts so much. Uh, at least I was. And, and, you're, and, you're, and you're helping them learn how to gain their balance. Right? And you have to let go of their shoulder in order for them to learn to gain balance. Uh, I remember my daughter specifically on multiple occasions when I was teaching her. And my son took to riding a bike just like that. My daughter took a little bit of time. And I remember I would remove my hand from her shoulder and she would simply say this, Daddy, don't let go. Daddy, don't let go. Perhaps your son or daughter did the same. And I would share back to Demi, Demi, I have to let go. If I don't let go, you'll never learn to gain balance and you'll never learn to ride your bike Friends, I don't know why Jesus wasn't in the boat with the disciples that evening. I don't know why he didn't see the weather forecast, but I believe he was using it to teach his disciples an important lesson of faith. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says this, Many of you know it, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Here's the best part. He will never leave you or forsake you. Such a powerful truth. Jesus is not absent during the storms of life. Thirdly, obedience to God's calling, friends, will always require us to leave our comfort zone. Wow, have we discovered this in our life, in, the, in our family's life. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, again, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, there it is, and walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Friends, I don't know if you realize it, but the boat at that very moment represented the only thing that was safe for the disciples in that moment. It was the only thing that prevent, prevented the disciples from drowning in the Sea of Galilee. You know, on March 12, 1992, there was a reported storm on the Sea of Galilee where the waves reached heights of over 10 feet. The day I was on the Sea of Galilee... Perfectly calm, you could see your reflection. But we know the potential of the storms there. Now, I'm not sure what the waves looked like on that evening, but we know it could have been significant. And so Peter, in the midst of this gigantic storm, calls out to Jesus. And he says, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And of course, Jesus replied, come. And then Peter climbs out of the boat. The only thing that was safe. 
You know, I've been touched by a lot of things over the last few months. It's amazing when you're going through a time of uh, a little bit of stress. You, 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 you press into the word and it speaks to you. You spend more time, more intently in your prayers. But even in songs, I'm being ministered to. And I was listening to a song by the, by the, song, or by the band Hillsong United. And it's a song called Here Now. And the song, in the, in the middle of the song, there's eight words that just pounded in my chest and pounded in my heart. It says this, faith makes a fool of what makes sense. Faith makes a fool with, of what makes sense. When Peter jumped out of the boat that day, it doesn't make any sense. But Peter discovered that day that it was far better to be out in the storm close to Jesus rather than in the safety of the boat with 11 of his friends. And I would say that for us as well today, guys, that it is far better to be in the midst of God's calling in your life than it is to be living in a life of comfort and complacency. You know, it was interesting as I shared the news with the awesome church I was a part of in, in Vieira, Florida, of me moving to the Kansas City area. It was, it was interesting to hear people's responses. I had one person, after I made the announcement, they said, you're, you're moving where? Now, where, tell me, tell me where, where's Kansas City again? And I'd have to remind them, it's kind of in the Midwest, it's in the United States, so no fear. Um, one person said, now, why would you ever leave Florida? Why would you ever leave Florida? Maybe some of you are thinking that as well. I know, it's the land of sunshine and Mickey Mouse. Why, would, why don't we all just move to Florida? Um, one person, or on more, well, actually multiple occasions, said this, you know, Brandon, in Kansas City, there's, there's tornadoes. There's tornadoes in Kansas City. You know, it kind of freaked me out, so I had to do some research. Because I've lived here, and my wife grew up in Kansas City. I've lived here for quite some time in the past, so I got kind of wigged out a little bit about it. So I did some research, right? And so I found in 2015 a little bit of assurance. Technically, there were more tornadoes in the state of Florida than there were in the Kansas and Kansas City area in 2015. I found that Texas was number one, Oklahoma number two, ah, 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 Florida, not so fast, you were number three, and then Kansas and the Kansas City area number, number four. I know it doesn't make sense, guys. I know it doesn't make sense, but God doesn't call us to a life of comfort. He calls us to a life of obedience. And so, so our family has taken a step of faith, and, and we're going to leave our comfort zone into the, into the stormy sea of the, the future. We know it's not going to be easy. That's our boat. But can I ask you this morning, what is your boat? What is your boat of comfort, and safety, and security? Maybe your boat is a boat, it's the boat of your vocation, your job. It's maybe someone in this room tomorrow is going to wake up on Monday morning and you're going to dread Monday morning going to work. You, you despise your job. It just makes you angry. It makes you bitter and you're frustrated and, and, and you struggle going to work. And you come home and, you're, and you, you yell at your family or you yell at your kids and you're just, you're just all bent out of shape. Maybe God's calling you today to, 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 to step out of the boat of your vocation and find something that you find fulfilling, you find tremendous purpose in. I had a buddy in my small group in, in Florida. I'm describing him, when I, what I just said. He, he, he hated his job. 30 years he was with the organization. He missed his family. He was working weekends. He was working holidays. And he said, you know what? I'm done. And he called it quits. 
and he stepped out of his boat and pursued something different. Maybe your boat today is a relationship. Uh, Maybe it's someone uh, in this room today that you know that you're a part of a relationship that's not healthy, that it's not God-honoring. But it's a relationship that fulfills an internal need for approval and affirmation. And and just so we're clear, and you don't come back next week and say, Hey, uh, Pastor Christian, Brandon told us that we got to get out of our our cruddy marriages. And he told us to get out. That's not what I'm saying. Perhaps getting out of the boat for you is swallowing your pride. For those of us that are married in here. And saying, you know what? I don't have a great marriage. I don't even have a good marriage. And we need help. And we need to seek some counseling. Maybe that's getting out of the boat for you. Maybe your boat is secrecy. Your boat is a boat that no one else sees. It's the boat of secrecy. It scratches an internal itch that you have and you find it extremely fulfilling, but you know it's not God-honoring. Maybe it's an addiction that you find tremendous comfort in. Maybe God today is calling you to get out of that boat of secrecy and to pursue Him. Maybe it's the past. Maybe you're so stuck in the past and, and you're making comments all the time, boy, I remember when. Or life was so much better when. And you look out over the, the bow of the boat and, 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 the, and the future looks so glim and, and it so, looks so hazy and all you think about is the past. And maybe today God is calling you to get out of the boat of the past and to pursue Him. Maybe for some of you in the room today, it's the boat of religion. Maybe your boat is a list of do's and don'ts and traditions you've been performing your entire life and you find, you find that they lack meaning in your life, but they give you tremendous comfort. They, they, you believe that your performance makes God happier with you. But God is calling you today to move out of that boat of religion and to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Guys, whatever your boat is, friends, obedience to God's calling will always require us to leave our comfort zone. Fourth thing, real quick. Obedience to God's calling will always require greater focus. Did you capture that? Matthew 14, verse 30. Look what happens to Peter. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know, this was Peter's what was I thinking moment. Have you ever experienced one of those moments in your life? Like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I'm going to be honest with you. There have been moments in the last three months that my wife and I looked at each other and we said, well, okay, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? I would say this today, that if there has never been a what were we thinking moment or what was I thinking moment in your relationship with Jesus Christ, I wonder if you and I have ever taken a big enough step of faith. It was, the, it was at this moment, it is at this moment, this what was I thinking moment that you cannot lose focus. You have to keep looking forward towards the goal. And what was Peter's goal? It was Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't look back at the boat with all of his all the 11 other guys. He calls out to Jesus. He calls out to the one who can walk on water. You know, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it's a very familiar passage. Paul writes, but the one thing I do, the one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies, lies, lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God 
in Christ Jesus. You know, there was a famous missionary. His name is St. Columba. Sixth century Irish missionary. He was sent to evangelize the, nor- the northern area of Scotland. The adventure was hazardous, not only because of the travels that they had to take, but the people that they were going to minister to were a, an extremely aggressive group of people. So Columba and his 12 men sailed to the nearby island of Iona. And the first thing they do, listen very carefully, the first thing they did when they landed on the island of Iona, what did they do? They burned their boats. They burned their boats. Now, why would they burn their boats? It was because they were afraid to trust themselves with a seaworthy vessel, a seaworthy craft, which might tempt them to leave. And because of this courageous event by Columba and his men, this boatload of men brought Christ to the island of Scotland. Now, I would fail you today as a pastor if I didn't say this, and please know it comes from a heart of love. Some of you in this room, perhaps, have given your life to Jesus Christ, and you said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what, but you haven't burned your boats. You, you have all the boats of your past that you still go back to. And when the storms of life begin to stir up in your life, your fallback is to one of your past boats. Perhaps it's a relationship. Perhaps it's an addiction. Perhaps it's that secret thing you do that scratches that itch. Friends, God's not call, God, God has called you to a new life in Him. And as Paul states in Colossians, he says to put to death your old self and put on the new life. Of Jesus Christ. You see, obedience to God's calling will always require greater focus. And the last one is this obedience to God's calling will always have spectators. There will always be someone watching. Did you see it in the narrative today, verse 32? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We can become so focused on Peter and Jesus in this passage that we forget there were 11 other guys in the boat watching this whole thing take place. And so we're so quick to dismiss Peter in this story and chalk it up as one of his, uh, uh, another one of Peter's failures. Oh, there's Peter again, thinking he's all that, thinking he can walk on water. We expect that from Jesus. But Peter, come on, man, you can't do that. You see, Peter began to sink when he lost focus, and perhaps he failed in some sense because he lost focus. But Pastor John Orderberg, in a, in a book on the same passage, said, Peter may have failed, but there were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat. Think about it. Peter seized an opportunity, and he walked on water. Outside of Jesus Christ, he's the only human being that can say, I've walked on water. I think Peter experienced a great victory that day. And the 11 other, the other 11 guys were spectators of this incredible event. Friends, our life of faith should never be lived in a vacuum. There's always someone else to observe us and watch us. People are watching you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids, co-workers. That they're watching you, and even more, when the storms in life are surrounding you, they're watching to see how you'll respond. You see, Peter responded that day to the physical storm in his life by pursuing Jesus Christ, by drawing closer to him. And in turn, 
He walked on water. Don't miss a small detail found in Matthew, just real quick. What were the disciples' response when they saw that Peter walked on water? No, their response wasn't, Hey, Peter, you are awesome. That was amazing. Jesus, we expect him to walk on water. Man, that was awesome, Peter. You did an amazing job. No, their attention was on who? It was on Jesus. And ultimately, these 11 men fell down and worshiped Jesus Christ. I firmly believe because of your act of obedience and stepping out of the boat, someone will see it. And maybe not right away, but maybe in the future they will see it and they will remember. I remember when you did that. And they may in turn worship Jesus later. You know, my wife and I have had countless conversations over this transition to Kansas City. One of those I remember specifically was this, is that our prayer, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, maybe even 30, 30 years from now, our prayer is that maybe someday our kids will look back on this big move to Kansas City and they will say, man, I remember when we got out of the boat. I remember when we made that big move. And then maybe them in turn, they in turn will do the same. And maybe someone today, guys, maybe someone in your life needs to see you walk out in obedience as well. God's not called us to a life of comfort. He's called us to a life of obedience. So let us, let JCI be known as a group of individuals, of Christ followers who are not afraid to get out of the boat at any time and follow God's calling in our lives. You know, in just a few short weeks, we as a church have an opportunity to move into a brand new building And we couldn't be more excited about that. That is something we have to celebrate. That is a huge accomplishment. And I cannot tell you how much I admire you and your faithfulness to that huge, huge undertaking. But let's just be careful. Let's just be careful that when we move into the new building and weeks become months and months become years, that we stop. We stop listening to God. We stop taking risks. We stop getting out of our boats. We stop acting in obedience to what he's calling us to do because we have a goal. We want to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who truly make a difference in this world. You know, there's a poem that I came across as I wrap up, and perhaps it may speak to you as it's spoken to me in the last few months. It's by a man by the name of Greg Lavoie. It's the common cold of the soul is the name of the poem. And it goes like this. To sinful patterns of behaviors that never get confronted and changed. Abilities and gifts that never get cultivated and deployed. Until weeks become months and months become years. And one day you're looking back on a life of deep, intimate, gut-wrenchingly honest conversations you've never had. Great bold prayers you never prayed exhilarating risks you never took, sacrificial gifts you never offered, lives you've never touched, and you're sitting in a recliner with a shriveled soul and forgotten dreams. And you realize that there was a world of desperate need and a great God calling you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And you see the person you could have become, but you did not. You never followed your calling. You never got out of your boat. Let's pray.